All right, I'd like to remind you that children are dismissed to Children's Church. That goes from uh, nursery all the way up to having completed second grade. Um, I believe very shortly we will be, in fact, at the end of this month, we will be doing our Sunday school promotion day. And those kids going into third grade will be beyond Children's Church and, and get to join us for the whole service as well as enjoy uh, a promotion in Sunday school class. For us that, that remain, turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1. We are continuing in our study of the book of James. And we're going to be reading verses 5 through 8 this morning. Again, that is the book of James, which is towards the end of your Bible. It's one of the, the first letters that, that was not written by Paul. We have Hebrews, because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. And then we have the book of James. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And God, through James, had this to say. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Please be seated. Let us pray together. Our gracious God and King, as we come to the text this morning, Lord, we pray that, that you would be in our midst. For God, we believe that this is your word and that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, we pray that you would allow for your word to come alive in our minds and in our hearts so that we might be transformed. God, we do not desire to get good ideas or good advice, but Lord, we wish to hear from you. And so, God, we pray that you would, through your word, touch our hearts and renew our minds so that your grace might be seen and experienced by us. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We are a people in desperate need of wisdom today. Whether it is the nonsense that is being spewed by both sides of the political spectrum or the foolishness on social media that we see day in and day out, there is no question in my mind that wisdom has become one of our most endangered resources. And the church has not been spared by the recession of wisdom in the world today. Wisdom, prudence, discretion seem to be just as absent from the life and speech of the people who claim to follow Jesus as those who do not. The reality is, for the most part, we say what we want we are willing to listen to instructions so long as they are, are not in, in contrast to what we want to do and that we are not required to apply them to our lives in any way, shape, and form. We have become obsessed with what we have a right to do and what we have a right to say and give very little consideration to how our actions affect others or affect our witness. In James' day, the people of God were going through an intense persecution along with constant dramatic change. Now, we can relate to that. 
Not so much that the church today is under this constant persecution, but we are definitely beginning to feel the pressure that the world around us and the culture that we live in is no longer eager to follow Christian ideas. On top of that, we very much so live in a world of constant change. We feel like our lives are changing repeatedly. We see how what we thought was was something one way is suddenly changed, whether it's in our jobs or in our home life, whether it is technology or what we see on the television screen. We feel like we are in a constant state of flux and change and that in any given week, what we know to be true today may suddenly be turned upside down and our schedule altered. They were going through this intense amount of change. However, unlike us today, they looked to the leadership of the church to help them discern how to move the mission forward with wisdom as a church. See, they were under this pressure, they were under this persecution, and and they were in the midst of all this change because, remember, this was the church that had initially lived in Jerusalem, that were from Jerusalem and Judea and even Galilee, and now suddenly they find themselves all throughout the region. And they're as far away as Turkey, maybe even Rome, and and, and far west, and, and in all of these different places. And so they looked to their leadership. They looked to the apostles and said, how do we move forward in a way that honors God and exemplifies his character, his wisdom and his nature? In our passage today, James sets out to encourage the people in their pursuit of wisdom. For us today, we need to listen with a careful ear to what is being said. And do so so that we might desire the same things that the early church desired. That we might receive it from God. And that we might receive it from God who so generously provides. So what is this thing we're talking about? This thing that they desired and that we too should desire. We can call it simply by one word, wisdom. Our passage begins with this statement. If any of you lacks wisdom... Now, I want you to remember kind of the context in which this statement is being made. If we go back just one verse, it says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And then he immediately switches that. He says, if lacking in nothing, you might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, but if any lacks wisdom. The passage on wisdom is actually a continuation of the context of of trials and, and going through hardship and what we are to do in a season of trials. I think we can all agree that trials are often the very thing that reveal to us where our wisdom is lacking. We think we're pretty smart until life hits us between the eyes. And it's kind of like the old statement that that the only perfect parent is the one without any kids. Because we all think we know what our kids are going to be like and what we're going to do and how we parent until we have those kids. And some little sawed off half pint, blonde haired, one year old girl looks you dead in the eyes, picks up her plate, dumps it upside down, throws it on the table and then makes a break for it. You have no idea what you're going to do in that moment till you get in that moment. As the old saying goes, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. 
We think we have it figured out when everything is going well. But when trials come, we are confronted with the truth of our own ignorance. And so, the question is, what is this wisdom that James is actually talking about? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Well, if we get a little bit further into the text, we begin to realize, and I'm talking much further in chapter 3, you begin to realize that there's more than one kind of wisdom that is available to us. See, there is there is the wisdom that James is talking about, but then there's this other type of wisdom. There's the wisdom that James is talking about, which is what he calls in James chapter 3 as wisdom from above. But then there is also an earthly wisdom, a worldly wisdom. James is calling his audience to desire the wisdom that comes from above and the benefits that come with it. Now, we'll address that in due time, and and I'm sure just a few short years we'll make it to chapter 3. But when we look at the Scriptures as a whole, we begin to get an idea of what this wisdom from above looks like. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 calls it this way. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So now we start to see our understanding of wisdom start to take pictures, start to take shape. Well, what is this wisdom from above? Well, it starts with knowing who God is and knowing His character and His nature. So so wisdom is intimately tied up with God, His character and His nature, who He is. Going back a few chapters to Proverbs chapter 1, we read these words. He says it is to receive instruction in wise behavior. That this includes righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive and to the youth knowledge and discretion. So now we see that, that the character and the nature of God is what begins us on this path of wisdom. And that as we pursue wisdom... It affects our behavior. It, it tells us how to act and how to li- live. And it does through, through things like righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, and even discretion. So wisdom is understanding the character and the nature of God in such a way that we begin to reflect the character and the nature of God. One author defined it in this way. He said, wisdom is the wholehearted love of God's ways. And I have to admit, I really liked that definition. Wisdom is to see who God is and what God does to see his ways and to love them. And this isn't a love them like, oh, I just love that for you, but that's not for me. But to love them to say is, I love what God does. Therefore, I'm going to do it also. The wisdom from above comes from loving God, his character, his nature, and seeking to do the things that he does and commands us to do. What this means for us is that trials reveal to us the parts of our life where we are not following God's ways. So then that reveals the question, what do we do then? What do we do when trials come and we suddenly find ourselves with a lack of wisdom? 
And we realize that there is an area of our life where we are not following God's ways, where we're following our own wants and our desires, where we're following maybe some sort of worldly wisdom or no wisdom at all. Well, as we continue on in the text, James answers that question. He goes on to say, let him or let us ask of God. James goes on to remind the church about God's generosity, that he wants to give us wisdom. Now, unfortunately, what that usually means for us is in order for us to get the wisdom, we have to realize that we need the wisdom. And the only way we're going to realize that we need the wisdom is to go through trials, which is why we should consider it all joy when we go through trials. If we go all the way back to last week. Jesus talked about it this way. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now, we often want to take this passage and, and think that that means money and, and cars and financial security. But in reality, it is as much about us asking for wisdom in order to navigate life and pursue Christ as it is anything else we could possibly think of. James is reminding us that we can know that we, when we ask God for wisdom and ask God for guidance, that he will give it. We know this because first and foremost, when we pray to God, when we speak with God, God hears us. Psalm 34, 17 says the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. That doesn't just mean that God swoops in and scoops you up and takes you someplace else, but rather means that in the midst of your trials and your struggle and your struggles, when you cry out to God, he will hear and give you the wisdom needed to be delivered from your struggles. Now, sometimes he very much so comes in and delivers you fully and totally of himself. But when you see that you are going through it, you have a God in heaven who will shine a light to get you out. Not only this, we see from even Matthew chapter 7 that God is generous and that he is eager to give and that he loves us. And because of his great love for us, he wants to give us the wisdom that we so desperately need. He is eager to do that, and we need but ask of him, and he will give us the wisdom we need. We also should remember that God wants to finish his work through us. I've been struck recently by what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when he said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You want to know how we can have confidence that God is ready and eager to give us the wisdom we need? Because God has a work planned for you. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 speaks directly to that, that because we are His workmanship, that He has good works planned for us. And for us to do and for us to live out. And since we know that we serve a God who loves us and is generous and has a plan and a purpose for our life and a reason for us to exist, that means that when we cry out to God and say, God, what do I do? 
God is ready and eager to say, let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me give you the wisdom you need so that you might glorify my name and complete the mission that I have given to you. This is the God we serve. And it should be something that gives us an overwhelming sense of comfort and peace in the midst of trials. Because when we go through trials, we know we have someone with us. This is also a reminder of why prayer is so important. Even James goes on later in his passage in James 4.2 to say, you do not have because you do not ask. So we have in, in James 1, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And then later in a different context says you don't have because you don't ask. Prayer should be a natural part of our lives and something that, that, that is constantly ongoing. And as we go through trials, as we go through our days and we have good days and obviously we have bad days. And when we go through trials and struggles and we don't know what to do, cry out to God. It doesn't have to be in your prayer closet at a certain time, knees on the floor, head bowed, hands clasped. But at any point where you lack wisdom, you can go to the Lord in prayer in that moment and say, Father, what do I do? And while he may not speak to you with audible voice, there may not be a bush that suddenly lights on fire right next to you. Rest assured that God has heard your prayer and he will give you the wisdom you need. But our passage goes on. In fact, embarrassingly, we've only gotten through the very first verse. He says, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who is generous and will give without reproach. But then going on into verse six, we read this. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. See, there's one more aspect to this asking God for wisdom, and that is that we cannot or we should not doubt. Now, that can be a scary thing. Because I'm sure every single person in this room can remember a time or may very well be in the midst of a season where you struggle with doubt. And I don't want you to get confused by this passage and to think, well, if I have any doubt, if I have any hesitation, then God is going to pass over my prayers and that God is going to abandon me and leave me alone because I'm struggling and because I have doubt. The Lord is not saying that. The Lord is not saying that any doubt, any fear or any worry that you have in the midst of trials or just life in general will be a reason for God to abandon you and to reject your prayers. I'm sorry, but that is just not the God that we read about in scriptures. On the contrary, God often uses this, those situations where we are struggling, when we have doubt, when we are anxious and don't know what the next step is going to be and don't know what our future is going to look like. God uses those very instances to reveal his glorious power. You could just go around the room and we could hear testimony after testimony after testimony of when we didn't know what tomorrow would bring and then suddenly God showed up. 
And I guarantee you we could listen to dozens and dozens of stories. And I'm sure as one began in this room, a waterfall would follow after it of how time and time again God has showed up in our lives in glorious ways. And in the midst of our doubts and our fears and our struggles, we saw God move. So what is James talking about here? Again, let's look at the teachings of Jesus. It says that another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's in Luke chapter nine. There's a man in this passage who wants to be a follower of Jesus, but he also wants an exit plan. See, this man has gone to Jesus and he said, hey, I'll follow you, but first let me take care of everything at home. He says, first let me take care of, of, of my family and talk to them. See, what he did was, is he wanted to go home to make sure that if he followed Jesus and it didn't work out for him, that he would still have a home to go back to. You could contrast this to, say, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, who, when they experienced Jesus and, and, and the miraculous catch, it says that they left their nets with their father and they followed Jesus immediately. They didn't wait for their dad's permission and say, hey, if we're going to go do this for a while, will you be OK? And can we still come back and inherit the family business when we get back? But that's exactly what this guy was wanting to do. He was saying, listen, I want to follow you, but let me make sure I got all my bases covered first. So if this doesn't pan out, I'm okay. And that's why Jesus looked at him and he said, listen, you can't put your hand to the plow. You can't put your hand to the work that God is calling you to do, but then keep looking back, checking and making sure that you still have an exit strategy. Doubt in our passage is this very same thing. It is not fear and anxious, anxiousness and, and trepidation in the midst of trials and struggles, but it is the idea that I want to follow Jesus when it works for me. But I also want to keep my options open so that in the day that a better option comes along, I will take that instead. I cannot tell you how many times I've been having I've had conversations with individuals and they've made this statement. Well, Christianity works for me right now. Now, you might think you might be like, oh, that sounds awful. And that's exactly what I thought. But that's really how they thought. At that current moment, at that current place in time, there was benefits to Christianity. And so they saw value in it. But in reality, they said, as long as it's working for me right now, I'll do it. But if there comes a day where it's a hassle, where it keeps me from doing what I want to do, when a better offer or a better idea comes along, then I'm probably going to do that instead. Much like the Israelites that constantly longed for Egypt in the midst of the Exodus and then turned to try to usurp Moses in order to go back. These people constantly long for the world and the lust that it has to offer so that their faith remains lukewarm, stagnant, and useless. This kind of faith is no faith at all. And when trials come to these, they find themselves tossed and disheveled and ultimately shipwrecked. 
Because while they claim to be a follower of Jesus, they are still living in the world. And they are unwilling to wholly give themselves over to the one who made them. However, when we meet trials, and those trials are accompanied with unwavered faith in God, And when we are trusting in His promises and believing that His Word is true, we will eventually see things through His eyes as we gain both wisdom and confidence in the God we serve. With this in mind, we realize that James is calling the congregation in the midst of their trials to wholly and fully place their faith in God, in His ways and in His timing and in His result. When trials come and we realize that we have not the wisdom adequate to navigate those trials, we cry out to Him that He might give us wisdom and insight in order to navigate those trials and to be a witness of His grace and His mercy to the glory of His name. Look around the room for just a moment. There is undoubtedly people in this room whose faith you admire for one reason or another do not think for a moment that their life has been free of trials every single person in this room has gone through seasons of doubt Everyone in this room has gone through seasons of financial hardship. Everyone in this room has undoubtedly lost someone they love and had to keep going through life without them. Many of us in this room have gone through tremendous heartache for one reason or another. But they're here. And they're here because they trust in a God that has carried them through those tough seasons in their life. And they are here because they have gained wisdom and insight to that, that they are more than willing to impart to you and share with you and to encourage you as you go through hard things. I was reminded not that long ago of a young man who was um, going, went through a season of extremely hard times and he battled depression and, and his life got turned upside down and everything around him seemed to totally fall apart. And finally, he got to the point where he said, you know what, the only thing I feel like I have left to do is to just go to church. That's it. That's the only thing that seems, that's like the only thing that I feel like I can do. And so he got up and he went to church. And when he walked in that door, the first person that saw him wrapped their arms around them and hugged him and told him how much they missed him. And then another person did the same. And then shortly thereafter, as he began to share what was going on in his life, other people came out of the woodwork, people that 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 he barely knew his whole time attending that church that said, hey, I've been through similar things. Can I can I just give you a word of encouragement or, hey, I know that you have this temptation because of what's going on in your life. Let me tell you why not to do that from my own experience. And suddenly this person realized that when they thought they were all alone, there was literally an army of followers of Jesus ready to love on them and care for them and walk with them through their trials. 
Amen. That is why church exists. And it's one of the most beautiful reminders of how when we ask for wisdom, God provides it. He provides it in our trials. He provides it through His church. He provides it through insight directly from the Holy Spirit that we have no idea where it came from. And He does so so that He might restore us and use us for His glory. The testimony of the people in this congregation will undoubtedly lead you to the truth that God loves you. In fact, God loves him so loves you so much that he sent his son to save you by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. That God is calling you to place your faith in him so that he will be with you and so that when you cry out to him, He will answer and he will generously give the wisdom you need. I said at the beginning of our time today that we are a people in desperate need of wisdom. And the wisdom that the world needs comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for that, if you are with us today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you feel those struggles and you feel that brokenness that goes on in your life, and you know that you need wisdom and you need the wisdom to try and live, and it seems to not be there for you, we invite you to cry out to Jesus, to give your life to Him, to trust Him, and that He will light your path. If you are with us today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you feel like you are in the midst of trials and you are lacking the wisdom and you are struggling in darkness, then we invite you also to cry out to Jesus. To ask for the wisdom that you need. And then to trust that he is accomplishing his will in you. You might need to do that by coming to these steps this morning. And just handing these things over to him. However God's calling you to respond today, we want to invite you to do that very thing. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you for your generosity and your love. God, we thank you that you have never left us nor forsaken us. But God, you have worked and moved in in our lives. And Lord, we can just look in this room and there is a chorus of people that can say that my life has been changed because God showed up. And God, we praise you for that. Because God, we know that you are at work in this room and in our midst. Father God, I know that there are some people in this room that long to be able to say that. That long to be able to say that that you have made a difference in their lives. That you have transformed them from the inside out. And that you are their portion and their peace. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender themselves fully to you. And that they would trust you. And Lord, even though that they're going to make mistakes and even though they know that trials are still going to come, but because of who you are, they will wholly place their trust in you. 
God, that they will believe that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for our sins, but you raised him from the grave three days later. God, I pray for the rest of us that are here. Lord, that we might also cry out to you for the wisdom that we need to be a witness for you in this world. And God, that you would help us to navigate life in such a way that it brings glory and honor to your name and that we might be a witness for you so that the world may know that there is a God in heaven and that Jesus is the Son of God. God, we praise you for this. For this, everything we've talked about today is good news. And Lord, I pray that we will take this good news as we leave here today. God, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.